Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of How's the Pressure? I am your host, Haley Winter, and this week I am bringing in Corey Costanzo to talk about working with trauma. Now, Corey is the co-owner and somatic therapist at Stillpoint Wellness. You may remember the other co-owner, Robin, from one of my previous episodes. This is her husband. In addition to being the co-owner, he also teaches somatic psychology at the Center for Massage and Natural Health in Asheville, North Carolina. He has studied Esalen massage, craniosacral therapy, gestalt therapy, and many other modalities. But my primary reason for bringing in Corey was his experience in helping people overcome trauma and transforming anxiety in a safe and engaging atmosphere. Now, our conversation covers a lot of ground, from discussing what it means to have a quote-unquote easy client to specific techniques that he uses in sessions to help his clients discover new inner tools. So here it is. I give you my conversation with Corey Costanzo. All right, Corey, thank you so much for joining me. It's great to be here, Heli. Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. I'm working with people who have experienced trauma and and working with that trauma, I think, is a really important aspect of the work we do. And a lot of massage therapists start down the path of body work and then run into trauma without necessarily expecting it. And that that kind of is an important thing to have some awareness around before they get into it. So let's let's drop right into it. I want to hear what was it that first got you interested in massage, and was there like a pivotal moment that turned the direction of your life towards body work? Yeah, the pivotal moment, if I can narrow it down to an exact moment, was sitting in a New York City taxi cab on 14th Street in Lower Manhattan, right by what used to be the old Palladium, which is one of the best Manhattan nightclubs, one of the best nightclubs in the world, actually. And um, I was in a taxi cab helping a friend of mine um, deliver a television that she had just just bought. And... Um, she had suggested that I try body work as a new career. I, I, I was disen, disenchanted with my fast paced uh, corporate New York city uh, lifestyle and job. Um, and I was looking for a change. And so she told me that her, her boyfriend was a massage therapist and found a lot of fulfillment out of the work. And as soon as she said that I got goosebumps, I started crying, tears coming out of my eyes and I just knew that it was something that I needed to pursue. So, yeah, that was the single moment where I realized, oh, my goodness, this is a possibility for me. Hmm. Was it the, the, the emotional response, that kind of goosebumps and the, the crying? Where do you think that came from? What was the, what was the hook for you? I know exactly where, I, where it came from. The hook was that I had just finished a BA in psychology. I had worked for four or five years in New York City, and I was making a high dollar salary, working really hard, playing really hard. And um, in my mind, massage wasn't a career that was, quote, worthy of, of uh, time and investment. It was, you know, to me, it was like something that uh, hippies did or something that, you know, something that I never even, never even considered as a career that was worthy of what I thought my potential was in my life. Uh, so when she, when she suggested that, and it was such a good fit for me in terms of what I was looking for, uh, 
to connect with people. That's what was lacking in the corporate environment was the was the human connection. So I knew that there was something there for me that was going to fulfill a deep uh, a deep need of mine and also a deep skill of mine that was going underutilized in the in the uh, in the corporate world. So that mixed with these messages of what would my parents think that you know helped support me through college. Um, it just kind of scrambled my emotional body, and that's what led to the outpouring of tears. Mm. So it was tears of probably relief and happiness, but also sadness. Set, yes, exactly, and also fear, and also a knowing that because I was having this reaction, I needed to pursue this. Yeah, so so they were just all mixed up. It was it was one mixed up um, moment, I should say. Well, I, it's. I want to applaud you in this in this particular aspect because usually when people are confronted with fear or sadness or these strong emotions, one of the initial uh, responses is to run away, right? To push it away, to not feel that because it's so intense. And it's interesting. Your inclination was to do the opposite, to actually say, "Oh, this this means I must investigate it. That means this means I'm onto something important." Yeah, totally. When I was in my twenties, I I battled uh, panic attacks. And I was actually diagnosed with agoraphobia and panic disorder. And um, I remember I, I, I was also uh, clinically depressed. And, and I remember um, lying in bed. I was in between jobs. I was li- living at my parents' house in Brooklyn, New York. And I couldn't get out of bed. I felt like I was literally lying in a pit of tar. And, um, and, and I was at the bottom, the bottom of the pit of hell in terms of suffering in the pleasant, in the, in the present moment, I said to myself, okay, something needs to shift here. Something needs to change. And what I came up with was rather than fighting or resisting the sensations that I was feeling and and I, I just breathed into it. And after about five minutes or so of breathing into it, it was almost as if I had nuclear explosions going off in my body. The energy that was coursing through my system was incredible. I jumped out of bed. I called a buddy of mine and we went to work out and I just worked out for the rest of the summer to burn off that, to burn off that, that energy. And it was this wellspring of energy that I tapped into that I wouldn't have if I would have resisted what I was feeling. And that was what helped me out of the pit of hell. That was what led me to um, to body work. That was what led me to psychology and then to combine the two. Hmm. And so you've chosen to work with people to overcome trauma and anxiety. I'm curious, why did you pick that as a niche? Is it from your own your own past or was it something else? I came up with something on my own and I realized how to how to work with it on my own that opened up new doors of curiosity for me to learn more about the body and learn more about the nervous system and about mental health uh, and energy and connecting with others. So I used, I used my own, my own experience as, as a, as a laboratory to help other people. I looked at it as okay this is my birthright now like this is my this is my opportunity and this is my um my gift 
to be able to meet people in that space because I've been there myself. Uh, so it was, it was really easy for me to see the path in front of me and just take step after step to lead me there. Hmm. And can you speak specifically to what piece of your experience that you're, that you were working with and what you drew out of that to help your clients? I feel like it was the understanding of regulating the nervous system and um, not uh, not retreating from any uncomfortable sensations. That was the biggest piece that I wanted to help others. So the way I look at it is that when somebody comes to me and if they're suffering in any kind of way, in a physical way, in a mental way, an emotional way, I look at it. At it as an opportunity for me to walk side by side of that person and be curious with them in their experience. So if they're having a, if they're experiencing a knot in their belly that's tight and that's um, causing fear and their breath is really shallow. What I'll do is I'll get really curious about that and, and I'll and I'll stay there with them. And I'll ask them, oh, what's it like if you sense into that place in your body? What's it like? What do you notice happening? And then we just go from there. It's like we're on the path together now. Okay. We're we're curious and we're and we're looking at it from different angles and we're flipping it on its on its side. And um, you know experiencing the present moment together. So do you think that curiosity is one of your main tools that you use? Yes, it's my main tool that I use. Yeah, yeah. And modeling curiosity gives people an opportunity to uh, take that tool home with them. And when they're online in the grocery store and they start feeling anxiety uh, or they're going home for the holidays and they start feeling anxiety, they could they could be curious about the anxiety rather than resisting the anxiety or put, trying to push it away or trying to have the present moment be something different than than what it is. So yeah, curiosity is a, a very simple and effective uh, tool to help somebody um, increase their enjoyment of the present moment. Mm. Yeah, the I'm curious what the mechanism that curiosity stimulates is, is is the curiosity allow people to take a step back from their experience and therefore not feel it quite so acutely or i mean when i say those words it doesn't sound right because you're actually asking to be curious and step into it so how i'm curious what you feel that that mechanism looks like like how does yeah. it how does it actually work i i feel like both what you just said both are true i feel like when I or somebody else can step back and observe in a, in, a, in a curious way what's happening inside their body and with their experience, then, um, then there's some space and then they can start to develop choice about how they want to perceive their experience. So if I feel into my belly and if in my belly I'm feeling tightness and I'm feeling anxiety and I'm feeling afraid, if I pull back from my experience and observe what I'm feeling in my belly, then I might notice that, oh, this actually also feels kind of pleasant when I really allow myself to breathe into it. 
Oh, and now it's starting to relax. Oh, and now I'm starting to feel it down into my legs. And now I'm starting to feel the earth beneath my feet. Oh, and I just took a big, deep breath. And now I feel energized. I feel excited, actually. So switching gears just a little bit, when we're talking about massage therapists working with uh, clients that experienced, have experienced trauma and then working with that trauma, what percentage of the people that you see professionally fall into that category? A very high percentage of the clients that I see fall into the category of experiencing trauma at some point in their life. And I feel like every human being, it's part of the human experience, is for us to experience uh, trauma. And the way I define trauma is energy that comes into the system too fast for the system to process it. Right? So like think of a car crash. The energy is coming in too fast for the system to make sense of it. Uh, think of any other thing that could, could potentially be traumatic and um, and 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 it, it, it will meet that definition. And um, so I feel like at different times in, so, in someone's life, people experience symptoms from trauma because the trauma is goes unprocessed. And then at certain times in someone's life, the trauma symptoms might start to come on board and start to present due to whatever factors are going on in someone's life. It's maybe um, there's a lot of stress in somebody's life and some past trauma that was unresolved might start, start coming up. And so I think um, in terms of your question, what percentage of people do I work with that are currently experiencing trauma? I would say 30 to 40% of the clients that I see are currently uh, experiencing symptoms of trauma that are making their life more challenging. And they come to me for relief of that. Hmm. Yeah. Now, I know some massage therapists out there uh, probably don't want to work on clients that are experiencing trauma because they would perceive it as uh, either challenging or they're not prepared for it, um, and they prefer to work with clients that they would maybe decide are easy. And I, I, Do you think there is such a thing as, a, as an easy client? I do think that there's such a thing as an easy client and I feel like I feel like that is different for every massage therapist. So every massage therapist is is it's going to is going to have a different type of easy of easy client. Um so for me clients that are connected to their breath, clients that have a sense of embodiment where they can feel their body and they have the languaging um, and the experience of um, of feeling their body, maybe through meditation or yoga or a dance practice, um, or just you know reading a book about being embodied and sensing into your body. Clients that drop into a space of ease and flow and allowing, and they're appreciating and um, and they give they give good feedback. Uh, they're, they're, they're easy to read, 
Mm. I think. And maybe for other massage therapists, like a, like a sports massage therapist, uh, an easy client could be a, uh, an athlete that's very well versed in, in their anatomy and is extremely coachable and motivated to, yeah. to follow all the protocols and routines and homework that they give them. Yeah, totally. Hmm. Totally. Hmm. Yeah. So in terms of easy, in terms of easy clients, I, I look at it that my goal is to make someone feel safe enough to allow all those qualities that I, that I mentioned beforehand to happen. So, um, you know, I feel like when, when somebody feels really safe, then they can start to drop in to their body. Then they can start to trust. Then they can start to access the parasympathetic branch of their nervous system and start to rest and not be so hypervigilant and, you know, waiting for the next, uh, waiting for the next thing to breach their boundaries if that makes sense. So I'm curious if you feel like there's a drawback to massage therapists only seeing clients that are quote unquote easy for them. So that, that fall right into the, the, um, into their, their mode of easy. I feel like the first drawback that comes to mind is that it's really hard to market only to easy clients. (laughs) You know, I'm thinking of an ad that says, you know, massage therapist, um, seeking easy clients to work with. I feel like, (laughs) well, it's, it's interesting, you know, because we've qualified easy into what's relative for each therapist, right? Uh, a sports, a sports massage therapist client that's really coachable or very hardworking, willing to, uh, to take on homework and protocols. And for you, someone who's embodied and, and wanting to, uh, willing to follow and uh, aware enough to follow their breath, um, and I'm I'm curious if like if not having the the challenge of forcing to adapt or grow or learn in a way to create as you said create the environment where those that easiness can arise. Like I'm wondering if yeah. that is a drawback of not seeing people that just show up in the space that you need them to be in. Yeah, I feel like we're all unique individuals with a lifetime of experience, some good, some bad, some bad experiences. And this is what makes us all different. This is what shapes our bodies, what shapes our minds, what shapes our culture in general. And diversity is a beautiful thing. Um, I feel like a narrow spectrum really limits my ability to be creative and to push the edges of what I'm capable of in terms of connecting with, with another human being and helping another human being. So, yeah, I feel like there is a drawback to only seeing easy, easy clients. And the major drawback for me would be that um, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't feel like I was progressing out of my comfort zone and I wasn't learning more and more every single day. And then this may be the same answer to the to the question, but if why is it important for a massage therapist to be able to to work with a wide spectrum of clients to be able to do that effectively? Yeah, again, I feel like I, I feel like it's it's a foundational approach to the philosoph- to to my personal philosophy of why I do this work, which is which is to help people on the simplest level. I I, 
I want people to um, feel good so that they can express their talents and their gifts and that they can be happy in their lives and their communities and their families. And, and really in order, to, in order for that to happen, the most effective way that I can be as a massage therapist, as a, as a help, as a helper of people, uh, then I need to just, I need to, I need to see all different types of people, especially the ones that are hurting and the ones that are suffering and the ones that, that aren't able to, to, uh, to really, um, live in that space of ease and flow. Yeah. So in your mind, what makes a client a challenging client? For me, a challenging client is someone who's not able to receive what I have to give. So I'm thinking of um, someone who's highly sensitive. I don't know if you've heard the term HSP, a highly sensitive person. Typically, someone who's highly sensitive uh, is reactive to a lot of environmental stimuli, noise, different kinds of chemicals, and they're very hypervigilant to their surroundings and to the energies around them. They're very sensitive to, to energy as well. And, and they might really not feel comfortable even closing their eyes in a bodywork session, or they might not feel comfortable taking their socks off or taking their clothes off or having, having the kind of experience connected, attuned experience with another person that's on a more vulnerable level. To me, that's another element of a, of a, challenging, of a challenging person. And I feel like the more, the more that I can stay grounded and centered and balanced in myself and notice what comes up in me when I'm working with a challenging client, um, the more able I'm able to connect with them. Actually, I'm curious. Previously, you mentioned how trauma is uh, around energy coming in too fast, and I'm wondering how that plays into boundaries and the transgression of boundaries, and and how you end up working with your 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 clients on that connection that you're talking about. When this idea of boundaries is, is very sensitive, and it's different for different people. Yeah. So. When I'm working with somebody that has had their boundaries violated and crossed in a big way and they're hypervigilant, and I learn a lot of this stuff in the intake that I, that I, that I, that I do, I ask, I ask these questions. Um, my languaging will be different. I might use very trauma-sensitive languaging, such as like, which part of the body would you like me to start with? I might... I might give them a lot of. I might give them a lot of choice. Um, would you rather start face down or face up? Would you Would you rather have music or no music? I might also. Um, I might also let them know. Okay, so as I approach your body and hover my hands twelve inches from your back, just notice what what's happening in your body. Notice what you feel. Notice what you sense. And as my hands slowly come down and make this first touch, just notice what it's like. So I'm letting them know what happens moment by moment, especially in the beginning with a first client. Do you have a favorite moment of success when working with a client? 
with trauma? A couple of years back, I was a client came in that was in full blown panic attack, and she was almost um, going to need to cancel the session. Um, so, in in my mind, the goal was stabilization for her nervous system to get stabilized. So I really had to had to let go of what I thought was going to happen, like what happens in most massages where they get undressed, they get on the table, we have the massage, they have a nice experience, and then they leave. I had to let all that go and um, and just work moment by moment by moment. So we didn't even start on the table. We just started, she was sitting in the chair in my office and I, I invited her to feel her feet on the floor and to just notice and orient to the room around her and see if she can find any objects in the room that made her feel a sense of safety. And, um, and she was able to do that. And little by little, you know, minute by minute, she was able to, her nervous system started to regulate a little bit more. And I can tell from what I was looking at, from what I was observing, and also I can tell from what I was feeling in my body. Right, so I was using my own body as a, as a, you know, the resonance between me and her. I could feel in my body, and I was using that for information. And that's how I knew that it was working. I started to feel a little bit more settled myself. Um, and then throughout the session, she wound up uh, at some point getting onto the massage table, face up. I had a zafu, something heavy, um, that I asked her if she wanted to try, and she put that on her um, thighs, which is a is a kind of a trauma trick that we that w- that we have. Um, in fact, I have a weighted blanket that I use sometimes, and I have several different weights of zafus that I'll place on people to help calm their nervous system. I ask for permission first because some people don't like that. It does the exact opposite effect, but most people feel very calm and nurtured. I took the blanket and I wrapped it around her and I tucked it in her almost as if she was being slottled. And I checked in with her every single moment, step by step by step. What are you noticing? What's this like for you? Does this make it better or worse? You know, um, and, you know, halfway through the session or so, um, you know, I, I, I empowered her with choice about where she wanted, where it would feel best to have my hands. And I wound up working with her feet and holding her feet and doing some craniosacral therapy with her. She had her clothes on the whole time. And then I did some cranial base, base releases and just some very light, very light compression and very light stretches. And um, by the time she walked out of here, she was feeling grounded and centered and balanced, and it was a very successful session. Hmm. And on the flip side of that, we, of course, all have our moments where we don't hit the mark and we, we, we have our failures, our, our most memorable or our favorite failures where we can learn the most from. I'm curious if you have one that sticks out for you. I do. I do have a favorite failure. And um, this happened early on in my career when I was working in uh, Big Sur, California at a five-star um, five-star resort called the Post Ranch Inn. I was doing a massage. It was a back-to-back massage um, of a couple in their room. And they were from Asia. 
and they were probably in their mid-50s. And what wound up happening after the massage, I got called in and there was a complaint that she felt that the massage was too intimate. I remember taking it, taking it very seriously and it really stuck with me for a few weeks. And it was, it was, it was a really, it was really hard feedback to get. And after I had processed and really thought about the experience, I realized what a gift of an experience it, it gave because what I did was I was giving her the kind of massage that I like to receive. And what I realized after that was that I needed to look at the way I was using touch differently and look at it from the perspective of what kind of touch does the client want to receive. And, you know, had I paid more attention to her body language, to, uh, uh, had I been more culturally sensitive, then I might have I might have used even uh, more secure draping with her. I might have um, I might have pulled back my energy, you know, pulled back my energy a little bit more. I might have um, not given her as much eye contact in the initial intake. I might have noticed these these things. So um, yeah, it was it was a really fantastic opportunity for me to to learn that wisdom fairly early in my career. And I feel like now one of my biggest strengths as a body worker is my ability to attune to each each client and um, figure out what they need to feel safe and what they need to feel met. And with some folks, it's more intimacy. With some folks, it's less intimacy. Um, with some folks, it's more pressure. As some, some folks, less pressure. And some folks, less technical terms. Some folks, unless, you know, if I'm working like uh, with a surgeon, um, they, they really like to hear technical terms. Uh, I work with a, um, with a DO, a doctor of osteopathy, and he asked me questions during the session all the time. Oh, what are you feeling now? You know, oh, and, and, and he'll throw out terms that are way too technical for me to understand. And, you know, I'll go and I'll research those, those terms after, after, the, after the session, and, and, I'll, and I'll try to meet him where, where he's at a little bit more. Yeah, I, I, I hear that. I, the, the meeting the client where they're at has a – I feel like that's one of the biggest complaints – that customers or clients have is that the therapist does not doesn't hear them doesn't listen to them whether or not it's listening to them in the intake and where they want the focus of the massage to listening to their body language or listening to what they want whether it's if i just want to be in my experience and don't want to hear about uh what you're experiencing right it's it's listening to what the client wants on both a verbal level uh, a body language level and on an emotional level and 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 giving them the session that they're that they're looking for absolutely i feel like that takes a deep level of self understanding and i find that the, the more i stay in touch with my meditation practice 
And the more I stay in touch with myself, inquiry practice, and those times in my life where I have, um, where I'm, I'm inquiring about what it was like in my life in each session after the session, and I reflect on it. Those are the times when, when I, when I get the most curious and when I'm able to really attune, attune the deepest and uh, the most successfully with, with my clients. So I, so I feel like it takes a level of, of uh, self understanding and at least like a willingness for me to explore what's happening in my own experience during a session and after a session to really, to really attune attune the most with my clients and be able to meet them where they're at. Speaking of working on yourself, uh, I'm curious if you have a habit or a behavior that you have adopted in the last few years that has really improved your life. I do. I have several habits and behaviors that have improved my life and um, some that have done the exact opposite. (laughs) Please do share. (laughs) So, um, so something recently that I've started to do again has been tremendous in um, helping myself get out of my way mentally, especially with intrusive thoughts. Um, so I own I own several several businesses, and um, I'm, I'm constantly I manage a staff of eleven people here here at the spa. So there's a lot going on in my mind at any time, and. Um, you know, depending on what the cash flow is like for the business, it 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 could get stressful sometimes. So, um, so I've adopted this practice that uh, was given to me, was shared with me when I was working at a day treatment center for at-risk youth, and it was a very uh, it was a very high energy and stressful environment, and there was a lot of complaining by the staff. So the leader of the organization found these these bracelets, and um, they kind of look like those uh, Livestrong rubber rubber bracelets. And the name of the website that she got this idea from is called a acomplaintfreeworld.org. And um, what it's it's really easy. What you do is when you find yourself complaining about something, you just take the bracelet and you switch hands with it, which takes about three seconds to do and. It's it's not that labor intensive, but it's labor intensive enough to break the cycle of the thought and bring awareness to to the to the thought. So she honed in on complaining because that's that's what uh, that's what was happening in the organization a lot. And what I use it for now is intrusive thoughts. So whenever I have a thought that I just don't want to be having. I will take the bracelet and I will, and I will, and you could do this with a rub band also or a hair tie or anything. I take the bracelet and I switch it to the, to the other hand. And like clockwork, what winds up happening is the thought just melts away as if it just fell off of a waterfall. And I allow that to happen. And then I'm back to the present moment. Mm. So that's something that, that, that has really uh, helped me in my, in my quality of life. And, and then what it started doing after a little while of doing it was, I started getting access to the thoughts that were below my conscious awareness. So, you know, the little critical voice that's in the back of your head that most of us humans have, especially in our culture, that sometimes is, is, is barely noticeable 
once I started to remove the top layer of thoughts, then I started to have access to those deeper thoughts that were really running the show. Like, you know, if I have a big project coming up, uh, I can't do this, or I'm not smart enough to do this, or, um, you know, someone's better than me at this, or you know, those kind of negative, negative beliefs that, that, that really uh, get in our way, um, those started to become obvious to me. And I was like, oh my goodness, once I started hearing that, it's like, wow, that's so not true. That's just totally ridiculous. And I was able to really stay present and focused for much longer. I would say that's my most favorite practice lately. And is that, that skill you developed, is that through meditation to, to, to take away or to look past the, those conscious thoughts? You know, I think so. I think so. And, and I use Headspace, the Headspace app um, on my, on my phone for, for meditation training. And I've been using it for several years and it's been an invaluable tool for me to, to really, uh, learn how to control my mind in a successful way. And, um, and I, and I feel like that in combination with the, uh, with the, with the wristband practice, um, really allowed me to stay to stay to stay more present and really notice the intrusive thoughts as as they as they've been happening and also i've got a lot of clients that i that i work with which by the way let me name that i work as a body worker and i also work as an addictions counselor so i have two separate private practices so um with my counseling practice um i will uh i will prescribe them the bracelet practice and i have several clients that have had a lot of success in increasing the quality of life in a very short short amount of time uh, that didn't have an active meditation practice so yeah i don't know that i don't feel like for that to work that practice to work that it that it need that you need to have an active meditation practice hmm. okay so we've got the headspace meditation app we've got yeah. the the wristband from side to side with intrusive yeah. thoughts i'm curious if there are other resources uh, you might offer to massage therapists who are interested in working with trauma uh, because uh, oftentimes getting the first step and like who, what's a good teacher or what's a good book to yeah. to to, sure. to to lean into yeah, sure. Okay, I have several. Uh, Peter Levine uh, has a system of trauma resolution that he calls somatic experiencing. And you could take his full certification course as a body worker, and you can practice that work as, as a body worker. Um, it's brilliant, and it's sophisticated, and it's elegant, it's easy. And I would highly suggest you checking out Peter Levine. He wrote a book called Waking the Tiger. He wrote lots of books, but that's probably his most famous uh, book, Waking the Tiger. And um, yeah, check him out and listen to him speak. Maybe watch a demo of his online if you can. Um, so that's one. And then another guy is Bessel van der Kolk. And he wrote a book called When the Body Keeps the Score. And that is a great book that will give you the download, the immediate download of all the latest research of, of, of everything that's out there in terms of uh, trauma in the body. Yeah, those, those, two, those two folks are great places. There's, there's one more that I want to talk about is uh, Dr. Dan Siegel, especially if you're a parent. Check out his website, uh, drdansiegel.com. How do you spell uh, Siegel? 
S-I-E-G-E-L, okay. I think. Yeah. And he's got this practice called the Wheel of Awareness, which is actually a really – and he shares it for free on his website. You just have to, you just have to uh, give your email address, and then he'll send you a link. And um, he is absolutely incredible. And his practice, the Wheel of Awareness, is a really incredible, guided, easy practice to really learn uh, how to get grounded and centered and balanced and attuned really, really fast. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Corey. I really appreciate you stopping by, and I'm sure I'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks, Haley. Well, thank you so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the episode, please go ahead and review it on iTunes. And if you have any questions that you had wished I had asked or topics you want me to cover in the future, please visit the website at www.housethepressure.com where you can send me an email and hopefully I can include it. Until next time, be good and be well.